Paul McLean were here this morning, you might have got that sermon on that David and Goliath saga. I'm not touching it with a 10-foot pole. But in all, in all serious, uh, seriousness, please hold Paul and his family in your prayers. Paul lost his mother yesterday, early, early morning. So uh, hold them in your hearts as we, as we say our prayers today. Have you ever heard of... Welcome to the Calvary Podcast, a ministry of Calvary Episcopal Church recorded live in Memphis. Calvary Podcast is weekly sermons, but also conversations, reflections, and provocations about the mystery of God and what it means to be human in the world in need of repair. The Beaufort Scale. If you're a sailor, you might have. In the 19th century, an admirable needed a reliable way to measure the speed of the wind. Figuring wind velocity from a moving ship is tricky. Here's the beauty of what necessity forced Admiral Beaufort to devise. His scale did not give wind speed in knots or miles per hour. It described the wind. The Beaufort scale described wind speed in terms of what was going on out in the observable world. So a one on the Beaufort scale does not tell us that the wind is moving at zero miles per hour. At one Beaufort... Smoke rises vertically. At two on the Beaufort scale, wind felt on face, leaves rustle, ordinary vein moved by wind. At five, crested wavelets form on inland waters. And at six, telegraph wires whistle, umbrellas used with difficulty. At nine, we read chimney pots and slates removed. And for the hurricane force of 12 Beaufort, the scale states simply, devastation occurs. Other scales were developed later in imitation. We're used to hearing about the intensity of earthquakes in terms of the Richter scale, but the Richter scale is logarithmic, which means a six is not 20% more powerful than a five. It's 10 times more powerful than a five. It's, It's hard to wrap our minds around that, isn't it? But at a four on the Mercalli earthquake scale, we read that wooden walls and frames may creak. At five, pendulum clocks stop, start, change rate. And at seven, large bells ring. At 12, objects are thrown upward into the air. All imaginable events in a world you and I can actually recognize, aren't they? Well, I like the Gospel of Mark. And I think you might call it our Beaufort Gospel. In contrast today to John, it provides clear and vivid details from a world we recognize, right? Rather than all those parenthetical commentaries on the motives of a character or the purpose of some cryptic statement. In just the handful of verses we just read, we're told it's evening on the sea and boats are bobbing around. We can easily imagine the gathering force of those winds and the waves as beating on the sides of the boat, splashing up over the gunnels. We see Jesus asleep, not just in the stern, but on a cushion. Did anybody else notice the cushion? For all Mark's efficiency with words, it's the shortest gospel after all. He sure knows how to fill out a scene with a whole lot of things that we've seen before, things we've heard before, things we've felt. And I want a faith and a language about faith that delivers me more fully to the world I'm alive in and matters to the life I'm actually living in that world, don't you? 
So if I hear a phrase like Jesus saves, which I very much believe, I don't want it to register like a number on the Richter scale. I want to be thinking about being saved from forces that might stop a pendulum clock or cause walls to creak, throw objects upward into the air. I don't want to hear about the saving power in Jesus in ways that don't relate to the ways I know I need to be saved. Wouldn't you agree? Well, maybe you've never been on a boat in a storm wondering if you'll reach the shore alive. But you're very much alive in a world in which that fear can make emotional sense to you. We, we can know enough about our minds and our bodies and our hearts and how they respond to the world to know what situations wouldn't face us and which ones would send us reeling. Which means we can be very much on, in the boat in that storm if we've ever gotten a scary diagnosis or suddenly lost a job or failed a friend we really care about so badly we don't think they'll ever speak to us again. We can bring fears about the murder rate in Memphis or new COVID variants or a young person's ongoing risky choices. We can bring them all to this story, don't you think? And this isn't to say that these gospel stories are tidy little fables into which we can insert our personal problems and get a nice Christian solution right back for them. I think you'll find the stories pretty resistant to that method. Or at the very least, they don't tend to spit out the solutions we come to them looking for. Take the one we just read. The presenting problem is the storm, right? That's the scary, uncontrollable event that sends the disciples to Jesus. And Jesus takes care of it in this story. He gets up, rubs the sleep from his eyes, and tells the weather to calm down. And somehow it does. But what happens next? Did the disciples say, cool, our new friend has superpowers? If he can calm the sea, our problems are over. Just imagine what other binds he'll get us out of. He'll keep us from getting sick and from losing our jobs. He can mend the relationships we've all messed up and ensure that our children grow up to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. But that's not what they say. What they say is, who in the world is this? In the wake of all their very recognizable fears, the disciples experience something more like confusion than relief. Jesus doesn't then seem like someone who's there to save them by solving all their problems. He's actually less comprehensible now than ever. And when he says, why are you afraid? Have you no faith? What in the world does this mean? Does it mean that if we have enough faith, we can stop the storms and other frightening, uncontrollable things from happening to us? Or, or if we have enough faith, we can ask him to and he'll take care of it. Well, mind you, I don't want to sap these stories of their power by just removing the possibility of miracle. In fact, let's just agree to accept that Jesus really did speak to the winds and the seas that evening in Galilee and that they literally calmed right down. Well, what then? What does the story offer to our lives, even if that's exactly what happened? Well, the first thing I'd say is that if we're coming to Jesus as a reliable calmer of storms, we're probably going to be disappointed sometimes. The rest of Mark's gospel and the other ones as well, these are not stories of Jesus rushing ahead of his disciples and running interference, lest anything horrible happen to them again. 
In fact, his death will be the most incomprehensible horror of them all. But at the same time, there's something in this story and in this Jesus that draws those disciples and also draws us to him with the specific worries and anxieties and knee-buckling spears that can beset us in a world just like this one. A world in which ships really do sink in storms. And pandemics really do still rage, especially if you live in a poor country. And in which ordinary and maybe mostly comfortable people can still experience loss and fear and doubt and grief. And I believe we can still take all of these things to Jesus today. I really do. There may well be times when what you've taken to Jesus really does get healed or resolved or mended in ways that you can't explain except as a miracle. But if we only go to Jesus for what he can do for us, it may seem like he's asleep on the cushion in the stern of the boat a lot of times. My experience is not that he usually wakes right up and solves my problem with the word. And read the story again. The disciples were still unsettled and confused at the end of it. But they did begin to realize that the God who made this familiar world that includes not only uncontrollable storms, but also unconditional love, unmerited grace, was with them through it all. And something in the miraculous calming of the storm didn't guarantee Jesus would calm the next one so much as it drew them all closer to him in their wonder about who he was. And that may be the takeaway that at least this particular Christian most needs from the story right now. That Jesus isn't running ahead of the faithful, speaking all headwinds into submission, but that he is present to us in these storms. That faith in him is still a trusting connection with the God who never promised to solve all our problems, but a God who loves, a God who is love, a God who can't not be love, and a God whom we don't access best through our fears of the worst that might happen, but as we bring those fears in all their clear and frightening details to the one we might still turn to in confusion and wonder when we've survived, if just barely, the storm in our lives that didn't actually get so neatly solved as the winds did in Galilee that day. When we baptize little Sam in a few minutes, we're doing so as a community of the Jesus who may have calmed a storm once in Galilee, but also the one who left most storms in this world and in our lives to rage on. We'll baptize Sam as one of us in the world as we know it. But we'll baptize him into a community that's still trying to trust more deeply by the day that, that lives like ours really do still matter to God. That fears and failures like ours, large and small, will not drive this Jesus away from us. And in fact, that in, in bringing the particulars of our lives to Jesus together in prayer, we can still be drawn into his life and his love even more strongly. Not as the fixer of everything that's broken, but as the constant lover of ordinary broken lives like ours. Amen. If you're curious about Calvary Episcopal Church, we are an eclectic bunch of Christian people who don't all think the same thoughts or dress the same way or vote for the same candidates or even believe all the same things about the mystery of God and what it means to be human. But we do believe that we need each other because of our differences, not in spite of them. 
and that God calls us into unity, not uniformity. Subscribe to the Calvary Podcast at calvarymemphis.org slash podcast or wherever you get your podcasts. Visit Calvary in person at the corner of 2nd and Adams in the heart of downtown Memphis, Tennessee.